take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you dry it, you roll it, you smoke it, and it goes down smooth. Spanning the continent to bring you the truth about cannabis and marijuana law reform. I smoke pot and I like it a lot. CannabisRadio.com presents The Russ Belleville Show The voice of the marijuana nation Hey, this is great, man Now, here's your host Radical Russ Belleville Good day, tokers and toquettes And non-toking lovers of liberty It is Friday, October 14, 2016 And it's got to be 420 Somewhere in the world Welcome to the weekend and welcome to the Great White North. We are coming to you live on location from the International Cannabis Business Conference here in beautiful Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, where the money is plastic and colorful and you can see through it. I love the Canadian money. Although it's going to take me a while to get used to loonies and toonies. It's weird not having dollar bills. <laughs> the lowest bill you can get is a five. It, it, it throws me off every time. And I always end up back at home with a, a pocket full of toonies. <laughs> Nowhere to spend them, nothing to do with them. So uh, pretty cool looking coins, though. I, I wish America got uh, uh, more into dollar coins. Anyway, uh, we've got a great show for you today because, like I said, we're coming from the International Cannabis Business Conference. And, folks, if you followed my uh, Instagram feed or Facebook page, uh, you'll see we had a great time last night at some of the after-party events. Uh, Rocker T performed at the after-party. It was a great show. If you love that classic kind of dubstep, Brooklyn-style reggae, uh, and a very, very gentle soul and a great man, it was, it was good to see him perform. And then uh, after the after party, we ended up going to an after after party <laughs> at another reggae bar uh, where the DJ let Rocker T get up there and uh, uh, spit some more lyrics. And it was fantastic. It was great to see him perform twice. Also, uh, I experienced a first in my uh, substance use uh, here in Canada. There's a woman here, goes by the name of Watermelon, and uh, she's got uh, a line of chocolate snuff. It was the damnedest thing. You could get chocolate ginger or chocolate raspberry, and it's powdered chocolate, powdered cocoa, like you'd you know, think of like Nestle's Quick or whatever, right? And she had this kind of plastic, uh, clear plastic uh, uh, delivery device that was almost like a, like kind of like a fork almost. It, it, had, two, it had two little uh, uh, planks, I guess, uh, that would fit under your nostrils, and you'd, she'd put a couple of, uh, you know, some, some of the chocolate on that. And she hold up to your nose and count to three, and you take the big sniff, and boom, you get that hit of chocolate up your nose. Uh, definitely weird. Uh, you know, it's not like any of the white powder drugs or anything like that. Doesn't taste like shit going down your throat <laughs> afterwards. Uh, keep you awake for six days or anything. But there was kind of a a little kick to it, I guess. It's the, probably the caffeine in the in the chocolate itself, uh, and kind of a nice chocolatey taste for the rest of the night. So it was weird, but uh, I don't know if I'd do it again, but. It's something new. Uh, on today's show, uh, we've got uh, all sorts of great segments for you. Coming up at half past, we're going to take a look at the wide world of weed and speak to some of the Canadian experts that are here at the ICBC. And then at the end of the first hour, we have time for a radical rant to take a look at the racist, homophobic reefer madness of Maine's governor, Paul LePage. He's come out with an anti-question uh, one video that is just chock full of reefer madness we'll debunk it all and give you a look at some of his other statements uh, that 
prove him to be second only to Donald Trump in uh, human dumpster fire. Uh, in the first half hour here, we'll have time for some drug war data mining. Uh, the Arizona director of the Department of Public Safety has come out saying medical marijuana is a joke and nobody should vote for legalization. Uh, and very, very egregiously misrepresented the statistics on Arizona's medical marijuana program. We'll set him straight in drug war data mining. Uh, we've also got a behind the headlines segment. Our cannabis focus today is a look at the Philippines and uh, Rodrigo Duterte, the president there, who's issued a, a call for genocide of all uh, drug consumers and what effect that has had. But first, we'll start with the Cannabis Radio News. Got all sorts of headlines out of Canada, out of Utah, out of Maryland, out of Arizona and Montana. Stay tuned. We're back right after this. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Cannabis use isn't the only thing growing. So are we. Grow with us. CannabisRadio.com Great websites today need expert web design and development and need to be e-commerce ready and mobile friendly. But building a marketable and profitable website can be an uphill climb. Ready to make your new website or replace your existing website? Think Orange as the new way to get in the black. Orange Hill Development works with Fortune 500 companies and offer the same top quality development service at a fraction of what other providers charge. Brands like Absolute, Carlsberg, and Nestle trust Orange Hill Development. Find out why you should trust your website with Orange Hill. Contact Orange Hill for a consultation today at orangehilldevelopment.com. Tommy Chong is ready to cut through the smoke and change the tone of Tilk Radio. I hope everybody's got their vape pen handy or their pipe or their bong or whatever you use to do your medicine. But you don't, it's not a requirement. You don't have to be high for this show. Yeah, you do. <laughs> okay. I don't know who you're talking to. You have to be high to do anything. At least I do. I don't know about you. In fact, I've been high so long that being straight is another high. The Tommy Chung Podcast, only on CannabisRadio.com. Welcome to my world. You're not high. You're listening to the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Who's your favorite foreign leader? I guess I'm having an Aleppo moment. I'm having a brain. I'm well, name brain anybody. Fight. Okay. Maybe you're high, too. The Russ Belleville Show is proudly sponsored by the Marijuana Business Association. The MJBA, called by NBC News the Cannabis Chamber of Commerce, is the fastest-growing business association in the fastest-growing industry in America. I've been working with the MJBA for years, and I personally invite you to join the MJBA. MJBA also publishes the popular MJ Headline News on Facebook and the MJNewsNetwork.com and Marijuana Channel 1 on YouTube. Visit MJBA.net for more details. It's time for the Cannabis Radio News. Covering the latest headlines in consumer cannabis, medical marijuana, and industrial hemp. Cannabis Radio News is now available exclusively at CannabisRadio.com. Now your marijuana headlines in 4 minutes and 20 seconds. This is Cannabis Radio News. This is your Cannabis Radio News for Friday, October 14th, 2016. 
Kyla Williams, a four-year-old in British Columbia, has a new hope for health as Health Canada has decided she may use cannabidiol oil to treat her over 300 epileptic seizures per day. Her mother and father, a former RCMP officer, discovered two years ago that Charlotte's Web hemp extract kept Kyla's seizures at bay for weeks at a time. But the Canada Border Services Agency would often seize the shipments of the oil the family would receive from Colorado due to Canada's marijuana prohibition laws. Health Canada has recently decided to allow access to cannabidiol oil as long as parents have an official exemption letter. Leaders of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints have issued a letter urging California, Arizona, and Nevada Mormons to vote no on state legalization initiatives. Thomas S. Monson, Henry B. Eyring, and Dieter F. Uchtdorf, the first presidency of the LDS Church, warned that, quote, Drug abuse in the United States is at epidemic proportions, and the dangers of marijuana to public health and safety are well documented, end quote. They also note the concern about, quote, the risks that marijuana use poses to brain development in youth, end quote. Nevada and Arizona rank in the top five states with the greatest Mormon population. About one in 16 residents of those southwest states is LDS, totaling about 600,000 members. About 2% of California's population is Mormon, totaling over 773,000 members. Two former Colorado politicians misrepresent the facts in a TV ad to oppose marijuana legalization in Arizona. Former Denver Mayor Wellington Webb, a Democrat, and former Colorado Governor Bill Owens, a Republican, appear in the spot. Governor Owens claims that marijuana-related traffic deaths increased 62% since legalization, glossing over the fact that marijuana-related just means it was detected in the driver's system, not that they were high at the time of their crash. Colorado State Patrol data show that marijuana DUIs actually dropped from 2014 to 2015. Mayor Webb claims that 50% of newborn babies tested at a Colorado hospital tested positive for THC. However, this only refers to just 11 babies tested in one hospital in one month, not all Colorado babies, which introduces selection bias. Webb also says Denver schools didn't get any marijuana tax money, purposefully omitting that his city opted out of receiving its share of the taxes. The Montana Commissioner of Political Practices says an anti-marijuana ballot committee broke state law by spending money on more than one initiative. Safe Montana's ballot proposal to ban marijuana in the state failed to gather enough signatures to go before voters on November 8th. The group also spent money on billboards opposing a separate ballot measure to loosen the state's medical marijuana law. Commissioner John Model says ballot committees are limited to participating in one issue, and the law prohibits Safe Montana from spending money to support one measure and oppose another. Model also wrote in Thursday's decision that Safe Montana was late in filing reports, failed to produce records during the investigation, and did not have proper attribution on its website. Most sufficiency findings by model are resolved through negotiated settlements. Maryland Natural Treatment Solutions is the latest rejected applicant to sue the state over alleged favoritism in issuing 15 licenses to medical marijuana growers. The company ended up ranked 17th in a review and ranking process conducted independently by Tosin University. However, the Maryland Medical Cannabis Commission declared that the top 15 applicants didn't represent enough geographic diversity. So the commission dropped applicants ranked 8th and 12th, then promoted the applicants ranked 20th and 21st to represent Southern Maryland and the Lower Eastern Shore. 
Maryland Natural's complaint is that it had offered to move anywhere in the state to satisfy the commission's geographic diversity requirements, according to commission documents. The commission says that applicants had to have a current site fitting the requirements, so the subcommission that selected the grower licenses was never informed about Maryland Natural's offer to move. A new study that has been published in the American Journal of Medicine suggests that poorer bone health could be a result of marijuana use. We will focus on that when we talk to Dr. Mitch on Monday. This has been your Cannabis Radio News for Friday, October 14th, 2016. We don't limit how much you smoke, and we don't limit where you listen. Cannabis Radio is now on iTunes, Stitcher, and iHeartRadio. While the feds and state are doing their dance, you still need to transact business and manage your cash. Go professional and let your customers pay with PayQuick. They pay you and they earn rewards points. PayQuick connects to your bank account for free and secures all of your transactions. And with PayQuick, you can pay your producers and processors for free. Plus, it pays to have it because it makes depositing your cash safe and so easy. No cops, no crooks, just compliance and comfort, knowing you have your cannabis business in check with PayQuick. PayQuick, the safe and easy way to pay. P-A-Y-Q-W-I-C-K dot com. Lisa was an amazing girl. She loved boating, photography, drama. Nothing could stop the cancer. She was only 17. She had surgeries, hundreds of chemos, radiation. All they could do was try to make her feel better. We did lose Elise in September. It was horrific. I don't know why anyone would choose to deny her relief by denying her access to medical marijuana. Yes on two is compassion for those still fighting. You're not high. You're listening to the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. I beat China all the time. Okay, maybe you're high too. When you are starting up a medical cannabis business, you want a fired-up lawyer who understands the needs of cannabis consumers. The law office of Lauren Vasquez is your fired-up lawyer for the cannabis industry. Visit her website, FiredUpLawyer.com, or call 1-855-MMJ-LAWS for more information. That's 855-665-5297 for Lauren Vasquez, your fired-up lawyer, or email fireduplawyer at gmail.com. The world of cannabis is evolving at a frenetic pace. The Russ Belleville Show gets behind the headlines to take a deeper look at breaking news in our Cannabis Focus. Today in the Cannabis Focus, we continue our look overseas at the Philippines, which is experiencing a massacre of drug users directed by the president himself, who is offering immunity to the police and the vigilante gangs that kill drug users and drug traffickers. He was elected with a plurality vote, just I think it was 39% of the vote in the Philippines, and was elected even as he campaigned on this platform. He actually said that he would be killing so many criminals that he would fill Manila Bay with enough bodies to keep the fish fat. That was one of his statements. And uh, recently had a, uh, a statement where he compared himself to Hitler, where he said Hitler massacred three, three million Jews. He was undercounting by half, but he says Hitler massacred three million Jews. And if I have to be, you know, if I have to massacre three million drug users to make this country safe, I will or something to that effect. Uh, he's also said, quote, 
to, to Filipinos, he said, quote, feel free to call us the police or do it yourself if you have the gun. Since he has begun this uh, massacre, this atrocity uh, on drug users, over 3,000 people have been murdered, uh, either by the police or by these vigilante gangs. And in many cases, the bodies are left in the streets, bloody, with signs uh, printed next to them that says that say things, well, of course, in Spanish, but say things like uh, a drug dealer, a good riddance, for example. Another six to 700,000 admitted drug users have turned themselves in to prisons that are conditions somewhat like concentration camps just to avoid being murdered in the streets. Well, yesterday, activists in Washington, D.C. protested this mass murder and detention of people at the Philippines Embassy in Washington. Uh, The deputy director of Drug Policy Alliance, uh, Michael Collins, he handles the Office of National Affairs, said, quote, Duterte must stop this senseless massacre immediately. The U.S. must also suspend aid to the Philippines, especially any financial support that is used to train the very same police forces that are implicated in these killings, end quote. These are activists, uh, as in addition uh, to Drug Policy Alliance, included uh, Vocal New York, Health Gap, Harm Reduction Coalition, the Student Global AIDS Campaign, Act Up New York, and others. And this is all part of a global week of action called by the Asian Network of People Who Use Drugs. Hillary McQuee of Health Gap said, quote, President Obama and Secretary Kerry must strongly condemn the killings and immediately withdraw the pledged $32 million for law enforcement in the Philippines until President Duterte acts to end the bloody human rights abuses. It is early in this extremely deadly version of the war on drugs to know what effect it will have on HIV prevalence, but we are deeply concerned about both immediate and long-term consequences to health and human rights, and we know that ending the war on drugs tactics is essential to ending AIDS. Uh, the reports I've gotten from uh, activist friends on the East Coast who attended this uh, demonstration said it was quite successful, g- garnered a lot of attention. People here in America don't know what's going on with Duterte and the Philippines. And this is the logical end result. This is the extreme that you get from the prohibitionist mindset. The idea that drug users are demons or vampires or Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde must be exterminated. Not treated, not dealt with, not tolerated, but exterminated like vermin. And this, I also think, sends a message to a lot of us here in America as we're looking at our election coming up with a very authoritarian-minded sort of candidate who promises to lock people up and deport people and build walls. And a lot of people out there are thinking such a madman couldn't possibly gain office. Well, keep in mind, when these madmen run for office and they show you their authoritarian bent, they're not kidding. They will act on those issues. And if the voting doesn't go precisely right, that is, if, like the Philippines, the opposition divides itself amongst multiple candidates, it is very possible for such an authoritarian to gain office with a plurality vote. Keep that in mind. Meanwhile, we'll keep our eyes on the Philippines and Rodrigo Duterte, whose ouster from office cannot come soon enough. The man is committing human rights abuses. These are crimes against humanity that should be brought up at The Hague. This guy should be under international law, international charges. Unfortunately, 
we're friends with too many despotic regimes that have similar uh, ideas about executing drug users. And we don't want to upset some of those apple carts because uh, some of those people have a lot of oil that we like. So um, once again, we see how world politics affects the drug war. There are white folks, and then there are ignorant motherfuckers like you. <laughs> well, thank you, Mr. President. Appreciate that. It is 20 after the hour. That means it's 420 in the Mountain Time Zone. So happy 420, everybody in Manitoba. Or is it Alberta? I don't know. <laughs> I, I could be I, right or wrong. I don't know. Let me know in the chat room. We're going to take a break for our safety meeting. And when we come back, a look at Arizona's Department of Public Safety lying about medical marijuana. Maui Wowie, Acapulco Gold, California Kush. Our strains stretch everywhere, too. This is the Cannabis Radio Network. Play as Ted Growing, expelled botany sophomore and the biggest grower in town, only on Weed Firm Replanted. Available on the App Store and Google Play. It's a lot of work being the biggest grower in town. Maintaining a room full of plants while dealing with a slew of eccentric customers... From a hardcore partier to the curious neighbor next door. Is anybody home? Help me expand my bud business by unlocking new strains, customizing my grow room, and completing challenges that you can't get enough of. Grow your empire so big you can see it from space. Low on funds? Don't worry. Weed Firm Replanted is free to download. Download Weed Firm Replanted for free on the App Store and Google Play today. Get growing, Mr. Growing. I'm Radical Russ from the Russ Belleville Show. Senator Mark Madsen of Utah. Mark, welcome to the show. Everybody kind of turns a blind eye. They obviously have to go to some other state. Representative Lee Fredericks. We're going to get something on the order of nonviolent possession offenses. State Representative Kathy Tilton. Where does it go from personal use to commercial use? It's the Russ Belleville Show, the NPR of POT, weekdays live at 6 Eastern, 3 Pacific, exclusively on CannabisRadio.com. You're not high. You're listening to the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Woo! Okay. Okay. Maybe you're high, too. The Russ Belleville Show is proudly sponsored by the Marijuana Business Association. The MJBA, called by NBC News the Cannabis Chamber of Commerce, is the fastest-growing business association in the fastest-growing industry in America. I've been working with the MJBA for years, and I personally invite you to join the MJBA. MJBA also publishes the popular MJ Headline News on Facebook and the MJNewsNetwork.com and Marijuana Channel 1 on YouTube. Visit MJBA.net for more details. Promoting the end of adult cannabis prohibition is easy because we have facts, science, reason, compassion, evidence, truth, and logic on our side. It's even easier when researchers catalog it all for us. Learn how to gather the facts on marijuana use, arrests, seizures, rehabs, drug tests, and more on this edition of Drug War Data Mining. Today in the data mines, we want to take a look at the state of Arizona, where their Proposition 205 will legalize marijuana if it's passed this November. But the head of the Arizona Department of Public Safety, a guy named Frank Milstead, says marijuana is a gateway drug that got his son kicked out of high school. (laughs) Marijuana doesn't need to be legalized anyway, Milstead explains, because the state's medical marijuana program is a lie and a joke. 
Here's the quotes. These come from uh, KTAR News. He said, quote, people in Arizona who want to smoke marijuana today, they can smoke marijuana. They just have to go see one of those quacks to get a medical marijuana card and they can smoke all the grass they want to smoke. Eighty some odd percent of the cards are issued to white male kids under the age of frickin' 25. If I had chronic pain at 25, I don't know where I'd be today. End quote. All right, well, let's just put aside the fact that chronic pain isn't a condition limited to frail old people. People age 25 can be military vets, high school or collegiate athletes, construction workers. They might suffer congenital conditions. They may have been in car wrecks. They may have had all sorts of accidents that can lead to lifetime chronic pain. No, no, let's just put that aside for the moment. The most troubling part of Milstead's comments, the director of the Arizona Department of Public Safety, is his reliance on these hackneyed stereotypes rather than his own state's data. Hell, he could probably go over to the next office down the hall to visit the Arizona Department of Health Service, the organization that administers Arizona's state medical marijuana program, and look up one of their monthly reports. They issue a report every month that includes the demographics of the program. The most recent report comes to us from May of 2016 that tells us there's almost 100,000 medical marijuana patients in Arizona, 99,895. Out of those patients, those who are less than 18 years old, 0.16%, 18 to 30, 24.82%, 31 to 40, 20.45%, 41 to 50, 15.74%, 15.74%, 51 to 60, 18.42%, 61 to 70, 15.96%, 71 to 80, 3.68%, and 81 or older, 0.78%. So, Director Milstead, some 80 some odd percent of medical marijuana cardholders aren't just under the age of 25, they're actually under the age of 60. All the cards added up together under the age of 60 is about 80-some-odd percent. Now, there are, statistically speaking, two male cardholders for every female cardholder. But the average age for the male cardholders is 43. And the average age for the females is 47. Now, it's also true, statistically speaking, that more than four out of five cards, over 80%, are issued for chronic pain. And there's another one in 10 cards that are issued for two or more conditions, and one of those could be chronic pain. However, for all the conditions that marijuana is recommended for, we actually have some of the best scientific proof of medical efficacy for chronic pain, especially the neuropathic variety of pain. Now, look, I'm, I'm, no, uh, uh, I'm not naive here. It's certainly reasonable to believe that some of the chronic pain patients in Arizona are recreational consumers who've managed to game the system. But come on, nobody can believe it's all of them. And with this nation in the grips of an opioid overdose epidemic and the recent evidence we've got that medical marijuana access dramatically reduces opiate use and overdose, why should we be freaking out about pain patients using marijuana, a non-toxic substance that cannot kill? And... As far as Milstead's comment about the quacks, the the medical doctors issuing these recommendations, again, you can't reasonably assume all doctors are quacks. But the quacky doctors and the faking patients who do exist 
are a function of the prohibition restricting access to a popular consumer product. If you really think medical marijuana is a joke and a lie, Director Milstead, then support the marijuana legalization that removes the incentive to joke and lie. Stop forcing us to be comedians. Look, Director Milstead's not alone in suffering from an aspect of reefer madness known as confirmation bias. His problem is he's too close to the issue. He's got a son who had a dysfunctional relationship with marijuana, and he's attributing that to the entire population of cannabis consumers. This is not to dismiss his son's difficulties. Some people do have dependence issues, and they're serious. They're, they're troubling mental health problems that you shouldn't take lightly. But if his son had an alcohol or oxycodone problem, I doubt Milstead would be calling for their prohibition and the criminalization of his son. The fact that his son had a marijuana problem under prohibition shows us that's not the solution to the problem. It exists without uh, legalization or prohibition or whatever. So I have no problem with people that are opposed. Well, I do have a problem with people that are opposed to legalization, but at least oppose it with the facts. At least come at us with value, you know, verified statistics. And it's just inexcusable to be a director in a state uh, organization and not even know the data your own state is producing on this particular issue. It's, it's a public malfeasance of, of your duties as an as a officer of the state to be misinforming the public in advance of this important vote on legalization. But it's not surprising. We've seen it many, many times. Well, folks, we're going to get enough states legalized around here that uh, they won't have many uh, prohibition legs left to stand on. That's the good news. Now, we got to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to look at the wide world of weed, particularly the wide world of hemp, with our good friend Joy Beckerman, Hemp Ace International and Queen of all things hempy. Back right after this from Canada. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. How high do you like your profit margin? CannabisRadio.com. The 2016 Southwest Cannabis Conference and Expo is only days away. October 14th through the 16th in Phoenix. Register right now at SWCCExpo2016.com. Check out over 100 exhibitors showcasing their businesses and the new advances being made in medical and legal cannabis markets. Plus, a can't-miss exclusive discussion on Arizona's Proposition 205. Check out over 100 exhibitors and thousands of cannabis professionals in Phoenix, October 14th through the 16th. Last-minute registration is open now at SWCCExpo2016.com. I was a Boston PD cop, and now, as a professor, I believe yes on four is a smart choice to protect families. Let me explain. Question four requires strict product labeling and child-proof packaging and bans advertising directed at kids. And question four bans consuming marijuana in public. It will tax and regulate marijuana for adults 21 and over, bringing millions in revenue for schools or law enforcement. Vote yes on four. Smart regulations protecting families. You're tuned into the Russ Belleville Show, the voice of the marijuana nation, 
only on CannabisRadio.com. Marijuana legalization is a worldwide phenomenon. Get yourself positioned for the global cannabis marketplace by attending the International Cannabis Business Conference in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. You'll learn from established cannabis professionals, elected officials, and internationally recognized marijuana law reform activists. You'll also enjoy the ICBC's famous VIP party featuring ICBC special guest speaker and Canadian native Tommy Chong. The ICBC is happening in Vancouver on Thursday and Friday, October 13th and 14th at the Hyatt Regency. Log on to internationalcbc.com today to reserve your tickets. That's internationalcbc.com and bookmark our page for the next ICBCs taking place in Berlin, Germany and San Francisco, California. Don't miss the International Cannabis Business Conference, internationalcbc.com. The global prohibition of cannabis is a crime against the planet committed primarily by the United States. But as more U.S. states reform their marijuana laws, countries around the world are stepping back from cannabis prohibition. Join us now for a look at the international cannabis reform movement in this edition of The Wide World of Weed. Welcome back, everybody. It is 33 after the hour. We're coming to you live from Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. We are at on site at the International Cannabis Business Conference and Expo. And right at this very moment, uh, the guru of ganja, Ed Rosenthal, is receiving a Lifetime Achievement Award. And uh, man, I wish I was in that other room right now because he said he was going to have quite a fiery speech lined up. We'll uh, have to find out later what he actually said. But joining me here at the desk, a good friend of the show, my sativa sister from Seattle, uh, who rode with me on the Amtrak train, although... We didn't know we were on the Amtrak train together. It's Joy Beckerman from Hemp Ace International. She's joining us here. And uh, welcome back, Joy. So great to be here every single time, Radical Russ. Right on, right on. So here we are in Canada, and I understand that they had a, uh, a shortage on, the, uh, on one of the panels, and you got to uh, kind of dish on Canadian hemp. How awesome is that, that I got to pinch hit with the Miss Jamie Shaw and, and Dieter McPherson and yeah. Kirk Tussaud? Yes, indeed, because there are some interesting things happening in Canada as well, even though, of course, they legalized here industrial hemp in 1998, but uh, uh, are, are an excellent sort of a case study of how we continue to be vigilant this many years later. Again, as I mentioned today, the Canadian hemp farmers are not allowed to pl- collect plant material, so the flowering parts, leaves, even the bracts around the seeds for that uh, non-intoxicating phytocannabinoid extraction and are really um, beginning to ramp up the fight for that right. Yeah, it's uh, it's weird. Uh, you know, so I'm, I'm so focused on the marijuana issue and, and somewhat medical. Uh, every time I get to talk to you in depth about hemp and we get into some of these weird little quirks of how the laws are set up in Canada, they can harvest all the, 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 the fiber stuff, but they can't use the leaf and the, the veggie material. In America, the, in some of the states, the, the marijuana producers can use all the marijuana material, but can't use the stalks. It's explain, fascinating. Yeah, Thank you. One. Yes, indeed. So in Canada, mostly, and the big issue with industrial hemp is that we need infrastructure. So with marijuana, you grow marijuana, you cure marijuana, you dry marijuana, you smoke marijuana, and or you further extract it. Now, that infrastructure for marijuana extraction, cannabis extraction, can be very expensive, but in terms of its comparison of being able to process the 
industrial hemp seed uh, for oil uh, on a large scale and for seed cake milling for our protein powders um, and our decortication infrastructure, meaning the separating of that outer bast fiber of the stalk from that inner woody core. All of that infrastructure and all of that machinery is we're talking tens of millions of dollars. And then further, if we're going to uh, take that fiber and move it into um, further manufacturing involving textiles or paper, we actually need new infrastructure for that. We're not just going to be able to take hemp fiber and move it into a cotton sort of a lateral move. It doesn't work like that. Hemp is its own unique uh, fiber in that respect. And it's the same thing with paper. We can't just move hemp pulp into uh, a wood pulp uh, paper making process. We have to actually get new equipment to be able to process hemp pulp. So having said that, back to the fact that the extraction of phytocannabinoids, whether it's marijuana or it's industrial hemp, being far less expensive... Our hemp farmers, of course, whether we're in North America, whether we're in the United States or whether we're in Canada, want to be able to use those that biomass to uh, not only not to waste it, because, of course, farmers are not into wasting biomass at all, but to use it for its get it out into the public for the valuable medicine that it is, but also to be able to, you know, generate revenue from it. So since 1998, the, uh, the farmers here have not been able to extract phytocannabinoids. They still are unable to. And yes, in America, whereas in Canada they have federal law, in America we have 50 different laws, and in fact 31 states that have actually passed some type of legislation for industrial hemp. Um, and of those states, I divided into three sec- three categories of legalization. So some, let's take Colorado, have just been like, we're legalizing. We don't care that there's some federal path to do it, that there's some l- amendment, you silly farm bill people uh, passed on a federal level. We're just going to do what we want to do, and they do extraction. They do fiber. They do seeds to the extent that they have, of course, limited infrastructure to process fiber and seeds. They have a tremendous infrastructure to process extraction. Then we have these two other categories that have actually followed this pathway that the feds have laid out, which is section 7606 of the Farm Bill. And these two different categories are, okay, we actually are going to legalize under a research program, but we're going to allow for plant material collection and the extraction of phytocannabinoids. And then we have states like Washington, which we just legalized hemp in March of 2016. I know that comes as a shock to folks because folks think, think that we legalized it when we legalized marijuana in 2012. We like Canada, have written into our law that our hemp farmers will not be able to collect plant material and uh, extract for phytocannabinoids. The silver lining to that is that uh, states that have uh, legalized in that same respect as Washington and or as Canada, not allowing the farmers to do that, will move forward with the oil seed and fiber. And the oil seed and fiber in the long run is the trillion dollar industry with industrial hemp. So phytocannabinoid extraction is a smaller portion, obviously, of what industrial hemp's true potential is. But it's fascinating that a non-intoxicating of the 144 cannabinoids that we know of, only 143 of them, I believe, so far have we nailed as intoxicating. And that's even the decarboxylated yeah. form yeah. of one of them. Um, but uh, yeah, not allowed to. So literally, we're talking about wasted biomass. It must be left in Canada and in states like Washington on farm. Cannot be processed. Must stay on the farm. In, in sense. Wow. And when we're, t- when we're talking about this extraction of phytocannabinoids from the plant material of industrial hemp, that's uh, the longhand version of getting CBD from hemp. 
That's yes. basically they're trying they're trying to make this workaround of oh the CBD oil is good for the kids, but marijuana is illegal. But hemp will will make that. And this is where we get into that murky area of these sellers that are saying, oh, we've got this legal CBD. It's legal in all fifty states. And maybe you can dish Thank on that you. a bit. Yeah, indeed. And and it's such a gray area. It's a fascinating area because it's developing so rapidly. It's like don't blink. Something changed in either a regulation or not. But but so I think the big drumbeat that that the DEA of course is. Eating all the while is that cannabinoids, phytocannabinoids come from the resins of the plant. And that if you look at the definition of marijuana in the Controlled Substances Act, you'll see that in those two sentences, the word resin is used three times. It's used twice within the first sentence that discusses marijuana, and it's used once in the second sentence that discusses the exclusion of industrial hemp within marijuana. But the issue is that it discusses itself in that sentence as an exception to the exclusion. So when it says uh, such term, meaning marijuana, does not include the mature stocks thereof, and it goes on, it then has a parenthetical that says, except the resins therefrom. So what the architects of, of the Nixon administration, although you know I, being the nerd that I am, I can't help but say that this definition is actually taken word for word from the 1937 Marijuana Tax Act, the architects of that definition of marijuana wanted to make sure we knew that whether you are talking about marijuana or whether you were talking about the exception for marijuana, which is industrial hemp, those resins are off limits. So, having said that, the DEA beats that drum. We have, however, such a defensible uh, network of holes big enough to drive a hemp CBD truck through, whether it's various new law, the definition of industrial hemp that was written in the uh, Section 7606, which does not include a carve-out for resin. So this new definition, which is historical, uh, which was included in that farm bill, that distinguishes industrial hemp from marijuana for the first time in U.S. history, simply defines it as any part of the plant cannabis sativa, whether growing or not, with a THC concentration of not greater than 0.3% on a dry weight basis. So no carve out for the resins. This is a hole big enough to drive a truck through. We're saying, yay. At Section 7606, you're allowing us to use any part of the industrial hemp plant without a carve-out. Then we have the subsequent language in Consolidated Appropriations Act, as you know, because medical marijuana is also being protected in these budgetary bills that the U.S. Congress passes each year, saying that the Department of Justice and the, and the Drug Enforcement Administration are not allowed to use certain funds to prosecute state legal and state-compliant actors. And that includes industrial hemp as well. Um, Having said that, uh, there is the USDA, the United States Department of Agriculture, the DEA, and the FDA, our Food and Drug Administration, and our U.S. Customs and Border Protection. Those are the four federal agencies that you want to be looking at for this constantly changing regulation, policies, and practices as concerns hemp-derived CBD. In the end, they all are agreeing and they are all putting out there that, no, they do not intend for industrial hemp under research federal law to be grown for folks to be extracting phytocannabinoids from that. It's totally defensible, but the, but the feds are, are telling us that, no, they, they are not condoning that. The issue is they're neither enforcing it nor going after these actors. Um, and so we continue to just consider ourselves uh, to, to be uh, defending um, what we're doing. But in the plain letter of the law, when we say on all these websites it's legal in all 50 states, 
it's a leap. It's a, I don't, I, you know, I, I don't want to condemn anybody for, for making those claims. Um, you know, being on the law side of things, I, I don't say that because I don't believe that claim. It's a defensible claim. Let's there leave it go. at that. Well, we just have a, a, about a minute and a half left here, and Jamie Shaw is right in front of the desk here. So I thought we'd say hi to Jamie, and uh, thank you for getting uh, joy on your panel today. Oh, yeah. It was awesome that she was able to do it. We had some uh, late-minute, last-minute cancellations and uh, found out that Joy was also a member of the Canadian Hemp Alliance. So that was amazing, and she killed it. All right. So uh, just real quickly here, uh, what are some of the main or maybe the main thing you'd like to get across to people listening about Canadian activism and how they can help? Oh, geez. You know, it's it's honestly, it's it's very similar to what's going on in the States. The, the specific issues are, are different, but we see the same patchworks. We see the same cities moving forward with sensible regulations and making compromises in certain areas. And we see other places doing the opposite or going in different directions. Um, up here where dispensaries are still illegal, according to the government, it's fascinating to us when places like Louisiana pass legislation that allows them to have dispensaries. Um, so it's a little mind-boggling here. But, uh, you know, ultimately, I think we're all going the same way. We're all going the same place. We all kind of want the same things, ultimately. Um, and there's some differing opinions about how to get there, as, as you know very well yourself from your conversations with Be Real this week. Yes, yes. <laughs> Certainly learned a lot from that. Well, <laughs> I, I'm learning a ton about what's going on in Canada and up here at the ICBC. So many great Canadian activists to learn from. Uh, Jamie, thanks so much. And, and do you have any uh, contacts you want to give out to people if they'd like more information? Uh, sure. Well, if you want to follow me on Twitter, it's Jamie S.A. Shaw um, or Jamie Shaw on Facebook. Um, All right. Yeah, those, are, those would be good places to check. All right. And, and for you, uh, Joy, any uh, contact information for people? Thank you so much. HempAce.com and at HempAce on Twitter. Joy Beckerman on Facebook. Right on. Love all right. you, Jamie Shaw, goddess. <laughs> Back at you, girl. <laughs> That's all the time we got for this interview. So thank you so much for stopping by, learning a little bit more about what's happening all around the world. When we come back, we'll have time for a radical rant on the racist, homophobic reefer madness of Maine Governor Paul LePage. Stay tuned. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Seed to sale, clicks to conversions, and more. You're listening to the Cannabis Radio Network. The next generation of vaporizers has arrived. Vuber vaporizers are blazing the way with unparalleled technology for oil, concentrate, or dry flower pens. Providing unsurpassed customer service and expert craftsmanship, Vuber vaporizers use cutting-edge technology, providing a power-packed, smoother vapor with a lifetime guarantee. Experience vaporizing the way it was meant to be, the Vuber way. is ready to cut through the smoke and change the tone of Tilk Radio. Obama, for instance, no matter what he said, there's a whole bunch of people that are going to be against him for saying whatever it is. Santa Claus is a nice guy. 
Someone says, oh, Santa Claus must be a thief if Obama likes him. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's a racist attitude. The Tommy Chung Podcast, only on CannabisRadio.com. Welcome to my world. You're not high. You're listening to the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Could be Russia, but it could also be China. It could also be lots of other people. It also could be somebody sitting on their bed that weighs 400 pounds, okay? Okay. Maybe you're high, too. Coming soon to a city near you, Cannabis Finance Boot Camp. Get all your cannabis accounting, legal, and compliance questions answered by their knowledgeable panel of industry experts who want to help your cannabis boom. Whether you're a grower, dispensary operator, or a newcomer to the field, your cannabis needs Cannabis Finance Boot Camp. For information on upcoming events, visit CannabisFinanceBootCamp.com. must wage what I have called total war against public enemy number one. I support a change in law to end federal criminal penalties for possession of up to one ounce of marijuana. That marijuana, pot, grass, whatever you want to call it, is probably the most dangerous drug. Some think there won't be room for them in jail. We'll make room. I experimented with marijuana a time or two, and I didn't like it and didn't inhale. One major responsibility is to encourage people to use less drugs. Entirely legitimate topic uh, for debate. Radical rant. Well, folks, today to end the week, we have got uh, a look all the way in the uh, northeastern corner of this great country, the United States, to the state of Maine, which will be voting on marijuana legalization this November, and their governor, Paul LePage. Now, if you've not been following politics or, or know about this guy, this Paul LePage, let's just say he's like Donald Trump's mini-me. <laughs> this guy, oh my God, you, I, the people of Maine just must wake up every week thinking, all right, what idiotic thing is this guy, guy going to say next? Paul LePage has just put out a video. Uh, I don't know if it's officially coordinated with the the anti-legalization campaign or if he did it on his own. It doesn't matter. He's put out a new video that is a warning of the dangers that will befall the state of Maine if they are to legalize marijuana this November. Let me play you the audio from this address from Governor Paul LePage. Question one is not just bad for Maine. It can be deadly. Marijuana kills people on the highways. Traffic deaths in Colorado have increased dramatically. Marijuana is three times stronger than it was in the 1980s. People addicted to marijuana are three times more likely to be addicted to heroin. Heroin is already killing seven Mainers a week. We do not need to legalize another drug that could lead to more deaths. THC levels in marijuana Snacks are so high they could kill children and pets. Pot snacks like cookies, candy, gummy bears, and soda. Children can't tell if their weed is in these snacks. People will smoke marijuana in pot stores right next to schools, daycare centers, and churches. They will smoke weed and sell pot at state fairs. Businesses could not fire employees for using marijuana. Before you vote, please educate yourself on this dangerous issue. 
So there you go. <laughs> it's almost, I, I really have to congratulate LePage in one respect for setting a record for the most reefer madness statements in one minute that I think I've ever heard crammed into one, uh, into one speech. It's just remarkable how much bullshit uh, we have to debunk <laughs> in that one 60-minute, actually 70-second, uh, I should say, 70-second uh, speech. But let's see if we can get to some of it. Um, first of all, he says uh, it can be deadly. Well, no, marijuana it can't be deadly. It has no known overdose potential. Nobody's ever died from it. Uh, he claims the traffic fatalities have gone up since the state legalized recreational pot. No, traffic fatalities have actually gone down in the state of Colorado. They've continued to go down over the past decade. They remain below the national average over the past seven or eight years. And they're below the traffic deaths in the state of Maine. Even when it comes to marijuana DUIs, there were fewer DUIs for marijuana alone in 2015 than there were in 2014. He says the marijuana is three times stronger than it was several decades ago. This may be the only true thing he said in the whole, in the whole statement. It's a little bit of an exaggeration. The real number is about twice as potent, but close enough for LePage, I suppose. But then for him to say that the, they got seven people dying of heroin overdoses uh, a week, was it, uh, in, in Maine? And that people addicted to marijuana are three times more likely to be addicted to heroin uh, ignores the fact that we've seen these reports from these states that show fewer opioids prescribed in states that have access to medical marijuana, fewer opioid overdoses in states that have access to medical marijuana. And as far as the three times more likely to be addicted to heroin, this is the old gateway theory. And again, just because there's a correlation doesn't mean there's a causation. I mean, you're three times more likely to join the Hell's Angels if you rode a dirt bike as a kid. Doesn't mean riding dirt bikes is going to make you a Hell's Angel, okay? It's the same ridiculous sort of gateway thinking. He also goes on to say that the children and pets will die, die from consuming marijuana snacks. Oh, my God, the gummy bears are going to kill people. No, they are not. <laughs> They're not. Not a single child has died. Dr. Schwartzler in Oregon in 2014 got called out for saying just that. <laughs> now, as far as the pets, yeah, look, if you get a chihuahua <laughs> and, and he eats a whole bunch of uh, uh, pot, yeah, there might be a problem. Uh, they, can, there can be hypothermia problems because uh, the uh, uh, cannabis is a vasodilator, right? It, it opens up your blood vessels, and the blood rushing away from the internal parts of the dog can cause some problems. Yeah, we're talking about small, small dogs, there might be a problem. But come on. <laughs> come on, LePage. And, and this idea that the, uh, the, the there'll be uh, smoking pot next to the schools, daycare centers, and churches uh, isn't supported by the law that they're trying to pass in the uh, in the state, the uh, local licensing there in the uh, in the state is going to keep it away from those sorts of areas. The uh, retail uh, marijuana establishments, so to speak, they will uh, have they will be adopting rules. the The commissions there in Maine will be adopting rules. Part of those rules can specify the the distances that these uh, locations must be away. Uh, this is in section 2444, paragraph two 
line uh, G has minimum lighting, physics and security, alarm requirements, procedures for internal controls, uh, uh, fingerprint criminal history checks. I mean, there's a ton of this stuff here that's going to be protecting the people of, uh, of Maine uh, on these uh, retail establishments. Uh, he also goes on to say that um, they'll smoke weed and sell pot at state fairs. I, no, they're not going to be smoking weed and selling pot. Now, the Oregon State Fair has had a display of cannabis uh, plants. That's not smoking weed and selling it. <laughs> this guy is uh, just so reefer mad. It's almost uh, it's almost hard to wrap your mind around just how crazy he is when it comes to the, the marijuana issue. But it's not surprising if you know more about this uh, Governor LePage. As we look at the background of this guy, the uh, Portland uh, uh, Press-Herald, I think is the newspaper, has been keeping a, uh, a log of the stupid things he says. Uh, going back to 2010, I collected some of them earlier today uh, as I was writing a comment on this on Facebook. Let me give you a few of them uh, from Governor LePage. Uh, referring to drug traffickers, he says, quote, what I think we ought to do is bring back the guillotine. We could have public executions. Ah, guy sounds like Duterte in the Philippines, doesn't he? Uh, speaking about drug traffickers, he said, quote, The traffickers, these are guys by the name D-Money, Smoothie, Shifty. These types of guys that come from Connecticut, New York. They come up here, they sell their heroin, and then they go back home. Incidentally, half the time they impregnate a young white girl before they leave. Which is the real sad thing, because then we have another issue we got to deal with down the road. End quote. D-Money. <laughs> D-Money's coming to Maine to impregnate the white women. Oh, my God. Harry Janslinger must be proud. Here's another quote from him. We'll get off some of the drug quotes. Here's some of the other just crazy quotes. Quote. What I'm trying to say is the Holocaust was a horrific crime against humanity, and frankly, I would never want to see that repeated. Maybe the IRS is not quite as bad. Yet, end quote. <laughs> yeah, that's right. The, the, the tax revenues are firing up the ovens. Yeah, okay. Here's another one. Now, this was one that got some national play just, I think it was a month ago. He was in his dispute with one of the state representatives, and uh, he got upset about him. And uh, one was a statement he made to the press. Another one was a, a, a voicemail that he left on the guy's voicemail. So let me give you the, the press statement. First was, quote, when a snot-nosed little guy from Westbrook calls me a racist, now I'd like him to come up here because, tell you right now, I wish it were 1825, and we would have a duel. That's how angry I am, and I would not put my gun in the air. I guarantee you, I would not be Alexander Hamilton. I would point it right between his eyes because he is a snot-nosed little runt, and he has not done a damn thing since he's been in this legislature to help move the state forward. End quote. That's the public statement. <laughs> the statement he made on the voicemail is this one, quote, Mr. Gatteen, this is Governor Paul Richard LePage. I would like to talk to you about your comments about my being a racist, you cocksucker. I want to talk to you. I want you to prove that I'm a racist. I've spent my life helping black people, and you little son-of-a-bitch socialist cocksucker, you, I need you to just friggin' I want you to record this and make it public because I am after you. Thank you. <laughs> and, and finally, one last one. Uh, with regard to his uh, a, a controversy about MLK Day, Martin Luther King, he said, quote, tell the NAACP to kiss my butt, end quote. 
Okay, so that's the governor of Maine. Paul LePage and uh, some uh, drug activists or reform activists in Maine are saying that his video may actually be a boost for the campaign because of uh, how crazy this guy is. And if he's against legalization, well, it must be something good. That's all the time we got for hour one. Stay tuned. Hour two is next. We got some Toker Talk Radio coming here live from Canada. From everyone here at CanvasRadio.com, I'm Radical Russ. Until next time, take care of each other, Tokers. This is the Russ Belleville Show. The Russ Belleville Show is blogging and podcasting daily at RadicalRuss.com. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you giant, you roll it, you smoke it. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you giant, you roll it, you smoke it, and it goes down smooth. Now, it's time for Toker Talk Radio, the voice of the marijuana nation. What are you people? On dope? Or you can toke. I am here. Uh, or you can talk. I experimented with marijuana and didn't inhale. Or you can toke and talk. Ten federal criminal penalties for possession of up to one ounce of marijuana. While we talk about toke on Toker Talk Radio. So, by the way, when it comes to pot, you know, if you're 40 years old, you live in a log cabin in Oregon, you got 12 giant pot plants in your backyard... Have a ball. Live from beautiful Portland, Oregon at Rolla J Studios. Freedom, freedom. Hey, this is great. Freedom, Get freedom, the cannabis. Plus your calls live at 971-533-7111. They're walking on their pants with their cap on backwards, listening to the end of a man, the Snoopy Snoopy Poop Dog. What's to keep somebody from getting all potted up on weed and then getting behind the wheel? Gateway theory doesn't work. It's a reality. We're locking up people that take a couple of puffs of marijuana, and and the the next thing you know, they got 10 years. And now, here's your host, the guru of Gonta Graphics, the sultan of Sativa Statistics, and the worst nightmare of a reefer mad prohibitionist. A polite, perspicacious, productive pothead with a propensity for PowerPoint. Radical Russ Belleville. All right, all right, all right. Welcome back, everybody. It's hour two. Toker Talk Radio is in effect, and our phone line is open. You can call live at 650-LEGAL-MJ. That's 650-534-2565. And uh, we'll take your calls, your comments, your questions. And uh, we will uh, enjoy uh, talking to you. Uh, I want to I want to get back to the main uh, stuff for a second because um, I, I, these people are going to have to learn that I look shit up. I've got all of the initiatives at my fingertips, and you can get them too. I've not only got the full text of all five legalization initiatives up online, I've annotated it. I've got my notes off to the side so you can you know. It, read this in like plain English in some cases uh, or just skip through and see what the highlights are. All five are available. They're all free. They're all in PDF form with hyperlinks so you can jump from heading to heading and you can find them at my short code address which is rad-r.us and that's where I, I, I do all my short codes rad-r.us and then slash 
And then each one of the initiatives has its own code. And keep in mind, the codes are all uppercase. That's important. They have to be all capitalized. But rad-r.us slash, then we've got CA-AUMA2. That's the Adult Use of Marijuana Act, Prop 64 in California. CA-AUMA2. And the two is there because they published one originally and then they amended it. And so the two is the latest version. CA-AUMA2. For the rest of them, it's the state dash CRIMLA, C-R-M-L-A, for campaign to regulate marijuana like alcohol, right? So you got your AZ-CRMLA, NV-CRMLA, MA-CRMLA, and ME-CRMLA. So you can read them all. You can look it up for yourself. Whenever you get one of these claims from the, from the uh, opponents, we can go straight to the text and prove it's right or wrong. So I wanted to get back to this thing about employment because I was having trouble finding it. Uh, that Governor LePage mentioned that uh, there was uh, no way that it would force employers. Employers would be forced to have to uh, hire pot smokers. That's what he said, right? So this is from the main Regulation and Taxation of Marijuana Act that's being voted on. Section 2454, line 2, Employment Policies. This chapter may not be construed to require an employer to permit or accommodate the use, consumption, possession, trade, display, transportation, sale, or growing of cannabis in the workplace. This chapter does not affect the ability of employers to enact and enforce workplace policies restricting the use of marijuana by employees or to discipline employees who are under the influence of marijuana in the workplace. What they're hanging their hat on, what LePage is trying to go with, is in section 2454, line 3, the very next line. It says, school, employer, or landlord may not discriminate. A school, employer, or landlord may not refuse to enroll or employ or lease to or otherwise penalize a person 21 years of age or older solely for that person's consuming marijuana outside the school, employer, or landlord's property. So yes, you can still have a a drug-free workplace program. Nobody can smoke pot in the workplace or have it at the workplace if if they don't want. But you can't discriminate a guy simply because he's a pot smoker. And LePage wants you to think that that means, oh, they're going to be smoking pot in the workplace. No, it means just like drinkers, after work, we can go home and enjoy a relaxing substance and go to work the next day and be just fine. All right, we're going to take a break. We'll be back with more here from Canada. We're going to talk about the... This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Missed my time, cue. Damn it. Every strain, every sale, every medical study. Keep it right here on the Cannabis Radio Network. The cannabis industry is growing. Business is booming. And as new opportunities arise in newly legalized states, each market is getting more competitive. 
Today, it takes more than just being a good grower. Do you have the resources to market and handle this ever-changing business landscape? Let Canna Management Corporation help you grow your canna business with our vast resources and experience to make your business a fully functional service company. Financial management, HR, sales, marketing, efficiency, and more. CMC has the experience and the expertise to improve your business and help you better meet the demands of your clients and customers. Call Canna Management Corporation and let our team get you ready to grow. 415-269-8015. That's 415-269-8015. Or visit cannna-management.com. Cannabisradio.com keeps you in the know Monday through Friday on air and on demand with Cannabis Radio News. Presented with the definitive worldwide news source, the Associated Press. Stay informed with exclusive news on all things cannabis. Cannabis Radio News, live weeknights at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific, during the Russ Belville Show. Or download the daily podcast exclusively on CannabisRadio.com, as well as iTunes, Stitcher, and iHeartRadio. When breaking news happens in the cannabis industry, Cannabis Radio News delivers the details first. Warning. Hits taken on this show are larger than they appear. Do not try this at home. These people are professionals, or at least they pay me to say that. A public service message from CannabisRadio.com and the Russ Belleville Show. At Herbie's Cannabis Seeds, we pride ourselves on bringing you the best quality seeds from the world's most respected cannabis seed producers, all at the lowest online prices. You can find Herbie's Seeds at Herbie'sHeadShop.com. All cannabis seeds are sold as souvenirs and as a means of preserving cannabis genetics. Herbie Seeds in no way intends to condone, promote, or incite the use of illegal or controlled substances. We strongly urge all prospective customers to check their national laws prior to placing an order. Herbie's Seeds at Herbie'sHeadShop.com. Proud sponsors of the Russ Belville Show and 420 Radio. Remember, friends, there's more to life than marijuana. I just can't remember what it is. Why'd I come in here? You're tuned into the Russ Belleville Show, the voice of the marijuana nation, only on CannabisRadio.com. All right, welcome back, everyone. We're live in Vancouver, British Columbia, here at the International Cannabis Business Conference and Expo. Wrapping up the story on uh, Maine's Governor Paul LePage, uh, I wanted to give you some of the insight from uh, Representative Diane Russell, one of the state uh, reps there in Maine, and one of our most uh, valiant supporters of marijuana reform in the nation, not to mention just Maine. Uh, Representative Diane Russell, you can find her on Twitter as at Miss Wright, W-R-I-T-E, Miss Wright. And uh, she tweeted earlier today when uh, LePage put out that ad, He she tweeted, can Marijuana Policy Project just hire Governor LePage to be its new spokesperson? Or maybe turn this into a primetime ad? Because <laughs> there was so much reefer madness. In fact, she says, uh, quote, It is right out of the boy who cried wolf. If you keep telling lies or propaganda, eventually when you need them to hear the truth, they are just not going to believe you. The magical thing he did is took all the bullshit from the 1980s on and put it into one video. <laughs> So uh, right now we're in pretty good shape in Maine. 53% uh, of Maine residents are 
voting yes, according to the most recent polls. So uh, that was a poll from September. Uh, so looks like uh, we'll be able to uh, prove Governor LePage wrong, and not just on marijuana, but on lots of things. All right, let me get to another story uh, of national significance in the United States, of course, dealing with our presidential election. Uh, there's been uh, some talk over the last couple of weeks. Uh, various outlets have printed versions of the idea that Hillary Clinton has a big problem with millennials. Millennial voters just do not like the lady and are split between her and Trump and, and Gary Johnson, who's pulling a lot of the 18 to 30 year old vote. Uh, and, and this could be problematic for her, although it's becoming less and less so as Donald Trump crashes and burns. But still, it's, it's of concern to the Clinton campaign. And so many observers, both inside and outside of marijuana politics, have said, hey, you got five states voting on legalization. You got four states voting on medical. And when you look at the 18 to 30 demographic, their support for marijuana reform is through the roof. It's like supermajority support. So Hillary Clinton would be wise if she wanted to pull some of that millennial vote to get a little bit ahead of the marijuana issue and to support legalization and be more forceful about allowing the states to move forward. Well, that was kind of brought down this week with the release of some newly hacked emails of Clinton confidant John Podesta, uh, DNC emails. Uh, and, And before I get too much into this, right, let me make my opinion clear on this. Like, if you're a whistleblower and you're turning over government secrets that are being held from us that are, like, unconstitutional and such, like what Edward Snowden did, you're a hero. But if you're hacking into people's private emails, you're a thief. You're violating people's privacy. And I don't care if it was Democrats that were hacked into, Republicans that were hacked into. These are people's private emails. And that's just out of bounds. Especially if we're thinking that it's likely that it's Russia that's up to this. So that, there we go. That's my opinion on the whole, just the hacking in general. But what came out of the emails is what's kind of putting the damper on this idea that Hillary might turn to the marijuana issue to attract millennials. And that is this uh, supposed transcript of one of her speeches to Wall Street. And this was, you know, during the Bernie Sanders primary, right, where, you know, show the transcript, show the transcript. What did you say to the bankers? You say something in private that you don't say in public. Well... Here was a Q&A with uh, Xerox chief executive officer, Ursula Burns, and it was framed in, in, the, uh, in the language of stocks, right? And when you're doing stock exchange uh, transactions, there's a concept called selling short. And it's, it's complex, but what it really means is you're betting against a stock. You're betting that this stock is going to fail, and if it fails... You win. You you earn money, right? So so Burns said, um, so long means thumbs up, short means thumbs down, or long means I support, short means I don't. I'm going to start with, I'm going to give you about 10 long shorts, 10 decisions, right? So uh, Hillary Clinton says, even if you could make money on a short, you can't answer short. And then Burns responds, you can answer short. But you've got to be careful about letting anybody else know that they will bet against you. Uh, Again, in short sales, you try to keep that secret because you don't want people to know you're betting for a stock to lose, right? So she asks, Burns asks, so legalization of pot? And then Hillary Clinton answers, 
short in all senses of the word. So the, the framing of that, the way that's posed, makes it sound as if Hillary Clinton is completely against, in all senses of the word, in all manner, the legalization of marijuana. And so this, this, uh, this uh, has been taken by a lot of people to say, aha, and, and plus in the Podesta leak, there's also some other emails that, uh, where she's talking about having a public position and a private position. Right? You have to say one thing in public, but then behind closed doors you have to say something in private that's different. Right? So this is leading a lot of people to say, see, see, when she says she's for rescheduling or she says let the states be the laboratories of democracy, it's bullshit because is that her public position or is it her private position? So let me offer my take on this. And, and, you know, with the, the default assumption and, and the disclaimer that everybody knows that I'm a Hillary Clinton supporter at this point, right? Which is really more of me being a Donald Trump opposer at this point, but let's not wade into that jungle. This statement that she made to the CEO of Xerox was in March of 2014. March of 2014. And that means legal sales of marijuana in Colorado had only been going on for two months. We'd only had two months' experience with legal commercial sales. It wouldn't be until later in 2014 when Washington would start its sales. And then it would be much later before we'd have, in November, two more states in Washington, D.C. pass marijuana legalization. And then it would be later still that we'd start to get the first financial figures in on state legalization, and as of this date, have discovered that we've made about $445 million in tax revenue, in or $445 million in sales with millions and millions in tax revenue. No, wait, $445 million in tax revenue is the correct figure. It's billions in sales. Get my numbers straight. This was also way before we'd had... Since her March 2014 uh, statement of this, you know, sell short statement, there have been 14 straight national polls that have shown support for marijuana legalization, with 13 of them being majorities. The latest Pew Research poll puts it at 57%. So we're going to have, I hope, (laughs) a President Clinton who gets elected in a country where a majority and an increasingly reaching towards supermajority status of Americans support legalization, where the Congress, the past two sessions, has passed a appropriations rider that says you can't use federal money at the Department of Justice to interfere with state marijuana programs, where we have where there will be we hope nine legalized states covering 10% of the U.S. population with California being one of them with 53 members of Congress and 55 electoral votes. And we'll have 28 medical marijuana states at that point. So public position, private position, that's not my concern about Hillary Clinton because there's one thing I can guarantee about Hillary Clinton. One thing I know for sure about her is that she is a poll-watching political follower, right? She's not going to be leading any of these issues. She's going to be careful and centrist and you know, timid with her political capital, right? 
But let's look at her history. Remember when she voted for the Iraq War? And then when that became really unpopular, she switched to saying it was a mistake. Remember when she said marriage is a sacred bond between one man and one woman? And then when gay marriage became popular and legal, she switched her stance to supporting it. And remember when she was going around saying the Trans-Pacific Partnership is the gold standard of trade deals? And then Bernie Sanders ran against her, made that really unpopular, and now she's against it. So the evidence I have shows me that when Hillary Clinton takes a position, if the people are against that position in large enough numbers, and the political momentum is on that side, she'll switch. She'll flip-flop. She'll move to that side. She can be pulled to the left. Not easily. I agree. She's got a whole bunch of campaign donors. And I got people that are saying, oh, but she's in the pocket of Big Pharma. She'll never move on camp. No, I, I, Big Pharma can only give so much money and you can only buy so many ads. But if you legalize California, and again, the polls in California right now, like 60%, right? California passes. Oh, my God. I experimented with marijuana a time or two and didn't inhale. <laughs> Sometimes Liebermater just brings up the perfect break, doesn't she? So, yeah, I'm not, I'm not worried about this. I think her default position is going to be like Obama's. Leave it alone. Let it happen. Don't waste capital on it. And then she'll only get pulled leftward from there as more and more states are legalizing and we're getting better results and tax revenues and kids aren't using and cars aren't crashing and so forth. All right, we're going to take a break. Be right back. Happy 420. We have your smoking section right here. This is the Cannabis Radio Network. Dr. Dabber, hurry. Its temperature is shooting past 1,000 degrees Fahrenheit. It's burning up. I'm afraid for this little guy, it's just too late. What caused the problem? Only Dr. Dabber can maintain the perfect temperature for a smooth-tasting, slower burn. This standard vaporizer lost all of its health benefits, sending it up in smoke. So you're telling me that most vapor pens burn so hot they produce smoke, not vapor? Correct. Keep away from those standard vaporizer pens and turn to Dr. Dabber. Doctor's orders. Less heat, more flavor. What can Arizona learn from Colorado? We can tightly regulate and tax the sale of marijuana. According to the Colorado State Government, marijuana use among high school students has not increased since legalization. At the same time, Colorado is generating millions in new tax dollars for public schools. Here in Arizona, we finally have a choice. We can vote yes on Prop 205 and provide $55 million to our public schools every year. Let's vote yes on Prop 205. The Russ Belleville Show where the truth about marijuana gets more than a minute to speak. New beginner guitars and banjos are often constructed much better than ones built before your time. Why struggle? Get a new instrument or fix the old one. The trusted professionals at the Fingerboard Extension will evaluate your instrument for free. Repairs are priced for people who work for a living. Stop by the Fingerboard Extension downtown Corvallis at 120 Northwest 2nd Street today or check out its inventory on the web at fingerboardextension.com. Warning, hits taken on this show are larger than they appear. 
Do not try this at home. These people are professionals. <coughs> or at least they pay me to say that. This is the Rush Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. All right, welcome back, everyone. We are live from Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, and uh, continuing our coverage here at the International Cannabis Business Conference. Uh, I've been doing some recording of the morning panels, and I'll have those uploaded to SoundCloud later this weekend. Uh, Some great activism panels and a great keynote by Dr. Gaber Mate, and I probably mispronouncing his name i apologize uh but some great uh great stuff from his uh keynote so we'll bring that to you uh on the soundcloud page soundcloud.com slash radical russ and uh we may have some uh, clips for you on next week's shows uh also speaking of next week we've got some great shows coming to you as we continue our uh, countdown to marijuana election night uh let's see It'll be 21 days before the election uh, when we get to uh, next Monday's show. And on Monday, we'll speak with Dr. Mitch Earlywine in our usual cannabis Q&A. On Tuesday, we'll uh, be doing our preview, uh, our our review of all the uh, latest polling uh, that has come across on marijuana legalization. On Wednesday, we're going to have Stephanie Viscovich, a longtime Seattle-area marijuana activist who is running for a seat in the House uh, in Washington. So we'll talk to her about her campaign. On Thursday, we'll have our Cops Say Legalized Drugs segment. So we'll have a great speaker from Law Enforcement Against Prohibition and their take on what's happening on the election. And uh, then on Friday, uh, another great activist guest joining us from one of the marijuana reform organizations to be announced, because I haven't figured out which one yet. So all that coming up on next week's editions of the Russ Belleville Show, exclusively here on CannabisRadio.com as a live stream, or you can get us on podcast by going to Stitcher, iHeartRadio, iTunes, TuneIn, uh, I think that's all of them. (laughs) So there you go. All right, for this next uh, story, uh, we go to Los Angeles, where uh, NBC4 in Los Angeles uh, has a story up called Stars Scared to Support Pot Prop, as in Pot Proposition. And uh, let's see if we can just uh, get the audio here for you from the NBC4 affiliate. uh, Stars Scared to Support Pot Prop. And... Let's see. Make that play, Russ. There we go. Kind of quiet. Let me see if we can boost that. Both supporters and opponents of Prop 64 say one reason it may win is Hollywood and what's happening both on and off the screen. Our investigative reporter, Jenna Susco, is here in the studio with that story. Jenna. Chuck and Colleen, it's no surprise to see pot use in the movies or TV shows or hear big-name celebrities talk about lighting up. But when it comes to backing Prop 64, most people in the industry are staying quiet unless they stand to make a profit. Would you believe cannabis wine? Along with partner Richard Cheech Marin, Tommy Chong spent the 70s getting high on screen. And more recently... That's it. That's how much I do. In his garage during our interview. It's not how little you do, it's how often you do it. Maybe uh, 
Maybe I should. Uh... Talk show host and longtime pop proponent Bill Maher even lit a joint on live TV. From the movies to TV, marijuana is going mainstream. This is like a Cheech and Chong movie up front. But many celebrities are steering clear of endorsing legalization. We analyzed support for Prop 64 and found very few names from the entertainment industry. If they are donating, they're doing it anonymously through political action committees. You see a lot of celebrities are involved with this current election because they feel very passionate about it. I think Prop 64 is a little bit of a different animal. Fred Cook is a PR CEO and head of USC's Center for Public Relations. I think any time you take a stand on an issue, there's a possibility that someone who disagrees with you is then going to not buy your product or not support your brand or not go see your movies. Do you think anyone's afraid of, of speaking oh, up about oh, it? Yeah. Based on oh, sure. Absolutely. Singer Melissa Etheridge isn't one of them. And while you're publicly supporting this, there aren't a lot of celebrities that are. Why do you think that is? This whole movement is a lot like the gay movement, I think. To cross that line of the public, uh, of your own personal space, and come out and say, this is who I am, was uncomfortable for a lot of people. Now a recreational user, she has her own brand of cannabis-infused wine, currently only available to Californians with a medical marijuana license. What would you say to those who see this and may think, well, of course she's going to support Prop 64. She wants to make money off of her wine. Of course. Well, isn't that the American way? Isn't that what we do? Why not? Tommy Chong will also profit if the prop passes. Once it gets legal, I'll be so rich. By selling pot and bongs labeled Chong's Choice. This is exactly what Big Tobacco did 100 years ago. They got their foothold in Hollywood. Kevin Sabet worked as a drug policy advisor for Presidents Obama, Clinton, and George W. Bush. My issue is the glamorization, the promotion, the normalization, and the commercialization. It's THC-infused gummies. It's lollipops. It's candy bars, chocolates, cookies, you know, things called Pop-Tarts. I mean, these are real things. What I worry about is what they're saying to the kid in East L.A., what they're saying to the kid looking up to them in Hollywood, what they're saying to the kid looking up to them in Omaha, Nebraska. Nebraska. Celebrities are endorsing this, it's glamorizing it, and now kids are going to be really interested. Mm -hmm. What do you say to that? We live in a world where we constantly draw a line between our adult entertainment and our children's entertainment. I have four children. You have laws and regulations about cigarettes. You have laws and regulations about alcohol. How do we do it with all that? Through laws and regulation. That is exactly what we want for cannabis. Glamorize it. <laughs> you know, take it out of the ghetto. Take it out of the, the shadows, you know. Yeah. <laughs> more you do it, the better it is. You know. Especially for me, you know, because I'm selling it. And testing it. Would you like some? And just to be clear, we politely declined his offer. Well, we're so <laughs> glad to hear that. <laughs> yeah, so there's your... Uh, uh, NBC4 in L.A. covering uh, the celebrities that will or will not endorse uh, marijuana legalization under Prop 64. And, you know, this is highlighted also by my recent uh, kerfuffle on Twitter with, uh, with Be Real. And, and it's something that I, I, I think about a lot because one of the things that's bothered me for the longest time about the fight for marijuana legalization is how some of the people that stand the most to gain from it are the least likely to be involved in it. And that, you know, on the activism side, 
I'm referring to minorities generally, blacks and Latinos, who we rarely see at these uh, activism events or marches or normal chapters. It's getting better, but it was always frustrating because it's like, look, you know, the white kids aren't as likely to get busted. <laughs> it's great that they're showing up to try to stop legal or stop prohibition, but they're not the ones that are really suffering the most from it. And on the other side of it is, are these celebrities who make their money, who make a lot of money off of the young people that consume their entertainment, their, their music, their movies. And in many cases, the music and the movies are about marijuana or glamorizing marijuana, as Sibet was saying there. So more than willing to take a profit from it, but when it comes time to step up and put your money where your mouth is, you know where to be found. And I asked a lot of people, I, you know, I've talked to Steve Bloom about this, who's got a lot of celebrity contacts from his, uh, his work. And, uh, you know, he'd explain how a lot of them would be in contracts with, say, you know, Disney to be the voice on a animated feature. And if they were known to be a pot supporter, they'd lose that gig. Or, you know, how, it, how the, they might affect their ability to work in children's movies or, you know, get other sorts of gigs, which is okay, I guess, as far as an excuse goes. But it doesn't resonate very well to those of us who've had our careers impacted by drug testing, by prohibition, who've had to settle for less income and, and less upward mobility because we won't take jobs that drug test. So we've been through plenty of sacrifice economically and career-wise. And so the celebrity wants some sort of, uh, you know, uh, magic uh, sympathy for the risk it might be to their career to stand up for what's right. When that risk means you may go from an A-list celebrity to a B-list celebrity, you might not get that eight-figure deal for the gig. You might only get a seven-figure deal for some other gig. I mean, come on. <laughs> Give me a break. And so as I see these celebrities now jumping into the pool, dumping into the green rush with their celebrity brands, I'm much more supportive of, say, Melissa Etheridge's cannabis-infused wine or Tommy Chong's bongs than I am of, say, something Miley Cyrus might put out. Okay? And, and, and not to pick on Miley Cyrus personally. And there's plenty of celebrities out there. Seth Rogen comes to mind. James Franco comes to mind. Who are benefiting quite a bit from the cannabis culture. But not returning that money not seeding that money into legalization, not funding these campaigns, not helping the uh, drug policy organizations. Willie Nelson? Cool. You're good in my book because you always stood for legalization. You're always uh, upfront about it. And you've lent, lent your, your name, your uh, voice, your likeness, and, and your time to normal for years, for decades, to try to help legalize. Guys like... Uh, 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 Bob Marley, for example, somebody who was always upfront about his cannabis use and and promoting the legalization of it, right? But you know, you get a guy like uh, like James Franco who will star in uh, Pineapple Express, make a ton of money off of that, but then is silent, absent, just nowhere to be seen when it comes to Prop sixty four legalization. And I think, well, at least I hope that we as cannabis consumers take this into account when we're evaluating these new cannabis brands and that we put our money toward the ones who've been good to us 
We put our money toward the celebrities who've had our back and have supported our fight. And we turn it away from the celebrities that are just, you know, jumping on the bandwagon now that it's popular, now that it's safe to be so pro-pot. I would love to see more celebrity involvement in this. I'd love to see more sports involvement in this. You know, right now the, the athletes are on this, uh, uh, at this level where they're, you know, starting to recognize the medical aspect. We get the, the football players now that are saying, you know, we need to have uh, CBD. We need to have uh, uh, cannabis for concussion, for chronic pain, to get away off the opioid painkillers. NFL and, and, and these football players, great. You made it to the 1990s <laughs> as far as our understanding goes. Let's, let's jump forward a bit here. Let's start talking about not whether we're doing a bad thing by keeping medicine from people that could use it. Let's talk about how we're harming people by criminalizing their drug use. That's part of how I think these guys could get themselves more ingratiated into, you know, publicly fighting this drug war is to remember that it's not so much we convince people that marijuana is awesome, although it is. It's not so much we create, we convince people marijuana is awesome. We've got to convince them that prohibition is unacceptable. That prohibition is detrimental. That prohibition is harmful. More harmful than any, anything they think marijuana would do. All right, we're going to take a break. When we come back, one more segment here, live from Vancouver, B.C. All sorts of people hanging out. We'll see if we can get them on the mic. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Earn your Ph.D. in THC monetization with CannabisRadio.com. Don't be late. Oh, let the marijuana llama tell you something now. About a game for your phone, gonna make you say, wow. The game's about the game of growing cannabis for cash. Grow the seeds, sell the bud, put the savings in the stash. Little by little, your empire grows large. Put different celebrities inside your entourage. You can choose to play with Snoop or me or Chichin Chong. Cypress Hill, Willie Nelson, Wiz Khalifa with a bong. The name of the game is Hemping, that's the point. Download and play while you light yourself a joint. The business of cannabis should be no crime. Hemp Inc. is even hot-proofed by the man who run high times. Oh, yeah. Get it on Android and I and iOS today. Marijuana Llama out. Got to tend to me on crops, you know. Money don't make itself. Hemp Inc. We love it. I'm Radical Russ Belville, inviting you to join me every weekday on CannabisRadio.com for the Russ Belville Show. It's the NPR of P.O.T. We bring you the latest marijuana headlines, cannabis analysis, drug war data, activist interviews, radical rants, and your live calls. Join me every weekday at 3 p.m. Pacific, 6 p.m. Eastern, live only on CannabisRadio.com. You're listening to the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com, where we don't change our mind on decriminalization during an election year. Hey everybody, it's Radical Russ here from 420 Radio inviting you to be like me and get your ink done at Lucky Horseshoe Tattoo, Fort Worth's most female-friendly, clean, sterile, awesome tattoo shop. Thomas and his crew are true artists who can design you a custom piece or use a design you bring in. Lucky Horseshoe Tattoo also offers all styles of tattooing as well as piercings and all-around fun. In the DFW area, stop by Lucky Horseshoe Tattoo and tell them Radical Russ sent you. Trust me, it'll feel awesome. 
You're tuned into the Russ Belleville Show, the voice of the marijuana nation, only on CannabisRadio.com. All right, welcome back, everybody. We are live here from Vancouver, British Columbia, as we're winding up the International Cannabis Business Conference. Uh, it's been a great show. Uh, today's keynote, Brendan Kennedy from uh, uh, Privateer Holdings uh, delivered that. We'll uh, get that for you on our SoundCloud page uh, sometime later this weekend. But joining me here at the desk, a good friend of the show and uh, one of the leading attorneys in the nation of Canada, Kirk Tussaw is here with us. How you doing, Kirk? I'm doing great, Russ. Thanks for having me on. And uh, what are your feelings about this uh, this conference? Any uh, interesting things you've picked up or, or controversies we can dish on? Yeah, you know, it's been a really great event. And the ICBC, I think, does a fantastic job. And it's been a privilege for me to participate. Um, I, I think it's hit the right note of a blend between sort of socially conscious uh, activism and uh, and business, uh, two areas of the cannabis world that, as you know, are often in conflict. And the, the there seems to be a, a significant chunk of the cannabis reform movement uh, that really doesn't like the business oriented aspect of things. And there's a chunk of the business world that sort of looks at the the the, the, the pioneers and the innovators and the activists as sort of part of the so called 420 crowd and yeah. not something they want associated with their, you know, now mainstream products. This conference, I think, did not feature much of that that sort of uh, clashes or those sort of conflicts. Brendan Kennedy, who you mentioned just a moment ago, uh, of course, Privateer Holdings is the owner or funder of Tilray, which is a licensed producer here in Canada in the medical cannabis system. And Tilray's been a, a real focal point of controversy up here because their tactics have been perceived by many to be uh, more American in nature, more cutthroat, more slamming the competition, in this case, dispensaries. And, and I thought there were, you know, he, Brendan took questions, and I sort of shook my head and thought, well, if, if there's going to be that conflict, if there's going to be that sort of pot drama uh, unfolding at this conference, it's going to be now, because someone's going to get a hold of the mic, and they're going to let him have it over Tilray. And, and that didn't manifest, hmm. uh, you know. And, and, and the things that Brendan said, I thought, were very... Uh, positive in terms of uh, you know socially conscious investing, using brands to affect political change, uh, ensuring that there's a role for both big and small business in the new emergent legal industry, but not the new industry of cannabis because it's obviously quite an old industry. Been around here for a while. Um, so you know, I, I hopefully those kinds of positive relations can continue and that and that a lot of bridges were built here over this uh, last couple of days. Yeah, let's hope so. I mean, trying to keep. Uh, these corporations and, and capitalism focused on more socially conscious endeavors uh, is, is difficult. I mean, the, the, the general arc, I think, is away from that. And so it's going to be, I think, hard for cannabis uh, consumers and, and operators to maintain that uh, that direction. But, man, I got my fingers crossed on it. Here in Canada, of course, we've got uh, Health Canada and the, and the, and the medical system, uh, which I understand is by mail. Is that correct? You said something about dispensaries, though. So... How does that work? <laughs> well, um, you know, we've got two parallel systems. We've got the legal system regulated by Health Canada. The only lawful access to cannabis for medical purposes uh, on the commercial level is a, is a now called the ACMPR, the Access to Cannabis for Medical Purposes Regulation. It has a commercial aspect, and there's a lot of hoops you have to jump through to become a commercial producer and sell to patients directly. It has a personal and caregiver home production or, or personal production aspect that we had to fight in the courts to uh, to reestablish here in Canada. 
Uh, and, and fortunately, we were victorious in those core battles, and we have reestablished that system. And then we have this sort of outside the regulated sphere uh, dispensary model, which, you know, I live on Vancouver Island. It's, uh, it's not a very big place. Uh, and we've got 60 dispensaries on Vancouver Island. Wow. We've got a few hundred in Vancouver, in, in British Columbia. We've got probably a thousand in the country. Every single one of these businesses is completely illegal. <laughs> uh, violating the Controlled Drugs and Substances Act, breaking the law, laundering the proceeds of crime. But they are also the pioneers of the industry in many respects. At least the early dispensaries were. And so through battles in the courts... We've, we, and through battles in the, in, the, in the court of public opinion and through consumers now voting with their wallets and with their feet and going to these dispensaries, I think that there's been a, a change in the public's perception of how you can sell cannabis in a storefront and have the sky not fall. There's been a change in municipal government perspective of how to best get a handle on these businesses. And there's been a change in enforcement priority amongst the police forces of Canada where you know, times are tough. you got limited resources. Do you want to spend them fighting real crime? Or do you want to spend them raiding dispensaries who are operating in your communities with the full support of your members of your community because they go there and shop? Yeah. You know, that's the part that we, we can't leave out of the equation. Every time you spend a dollar in a dispensary, you're voting for that method of access. So it's been really wild to see it all develop. It's going to continue to be wild up here. Um, a rough and rocky road for some. <laughs> A fascinating uh, road for others, and and I don't think it's going to change anytime yeah. soon. Well, of course, the other side of it is uh, federal marijuana legalization, something that uh, Justin Trudeau and the Liberal Party campaigned on, yep. which I've understood lately has kind of been a bit of foot dragging. And the other piece of news I picked up was uh, one of the health ministers saying the minimum age ought to be 25, and other <laughs> people saying it ought to match Canada's 19-year-old drinking age. Yeah, it's, you know... We are moving towards legalization. The Prime Minister's promised to introduce legislation in the spring. Uh, we've had a process where the task force has been going around Canada for the last couple months talking to people about how best to legalize. Not whether to legalize, but how best to legalize. And we'd be you know, only the second country in the world to have a federal legalization uh, uh, system in place. And I think it's fair to say that a lot of people are watching. And so the government wants to get it right, and they're taking their time. I don't blame them for that. I think it's too important to, to rush. We could make better progress, and we could move more quickly in the area of stop arresting people for simple possession, stop prosecuting medical cannabis dispensaries. Let's get out of the business of continuing the victims of prohibition, their criminalization. That's something we could do in the short term, and I think the government should be criticized for not doing that. But in terms of you know getting the system right, it's going to take some time. I don't expect cannabis to be legalized in Canada until sometime in probably early 2018. Um, as for this... I mean, 25 years of age. Look, <laughs> everyone knows the demographic that most consumes cannabis is under 25. 18 to 25, right? That's yeah. right. So you, <laughs> you, you begin to age out after a while. That's probably going to change with legalization and normalization. At least I hope it does. Um, but I, this, this is an idea floated mostly by special interest groups that are trying to do whatever they can to preserve the last vestiges of prohibition. I have no doubt that the age for purchasing cannabis in a store is going to be the same as the age of majority in Canada, which is actually determined provincially. In most provinces, it's actually 19. Uh, in, in a couple of provinces, it's 18. That's why the drinking age in Quebec is 18 and not 19. Uh, there's no reason it would be any different for cannabis. And in fact, I think if it were any different, 
you know, our charter protects us against discrimination on the basis of age in Section 15, and I think that's a classic discrimination lawsuit right there because if you're 24 years and 364 days old and you're a criminal for buying cannabis, but yeah. then on your birthday you're not a criminal anymore, you know, that, that's just sort of ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, in in the states, of course, we got five states that are voting on legalization. Yeah. California, prime among them, and and I'm sure there's a lot of influence that this will have over Canadian politics. Uh, but our opponents, uh, the Kevin Sabets of the world, uh, their talking points lately, their reefer madness has been about the gummy bears and big marijuana as this corporate predator. Uh, is there a difference with Canadian reefer madness other than it being more polite? <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean, no, not fundamentally. They're, they're, you still hear the same sort of tropes, right? And, and, you know, I get it. Kids are concerned that, you know, someone's going to pick up a gummy bear and eat it. Uh, but, you know, what do they do when you go to the pharmacy and you get prescription narcotic drugs? They tell you, look, this could be dangerous. Store it safely. Well, that's all you need to do for cannabis. I, people are responsible. They tend to be responsible. That there's no significant downside to accidental ingestion. No one's going to die from eating too many gummy bears. Uh, you know, but that said, a, a, a responsible business would also listen to the concerns of consumers and say, well, look, maybe there's a way that we can proactively assuage some of these concerns, either through packaging, through labeling, or through putting your product into, uh, into alternative forms of ingestion that maybe aren't attractive to children. I think it's much ado about nothing and, and a lot of reefer madness generally, but in an emergent legal regime, you know, as an industry, as a self-regulating industry heretofore, we, we need to be alive to this. We can't just poo-poo people's concerns, even when empirically they may not be justified, because, you know, people, people have these beliefs, and we can't pretend that they don't. Yeah, it's uh, perception is reality, and most people don't smoke pot. So we got to keep that in mind when we're trying to get the votes. Well, that's right. I mean, uh, it, the majority of people are not cannabis consumers, and they don't quite understand the nuances of some of these issues, and that's okay. Like, we, we have to continue to educate people, and we have to understand that the system we end up with tomorrow is not the system we'll have in 10 years. I, I, I was on a panel recently with uh, a lawyer that represents craft brewers of beer in British Columbia and another lawyer that represents the VQA, the, the Vintners Quality Association, self-regulating wine authority in British Columbia. And they're complaining about these ridiculous rules that government has saddled their industry with that stifles innovation, uh, imposes costs that don't need to be there. And, hey, I'm looking at these guys going, man, you guys got it good. Your products are legal. <laughs> yeah. You get to bake them and sell them, and I can go across the street to my local vineyard and, and have a glass of wine and a nice salad. Um, I really hope 100 years from now the cannabis folks are not beating their heads against the same brick walls. So it, it takes time. We're 100 years out alcohol prohibition, and the vestiges of it remain today in some of our archaic policies. So. It's a, it's a journey. It's not yeah. a it's not a light switch. I, I'm right? glad I'm glad you mentioned the craft brewers, the vintners, because I think that speaks to this scare of big marijuana and the corporatization of weed. You know, I, I live in Portland, Oregon. Uh, you can find Budweiser, Coors, and Miller if yeah. you want to. Got to go looking hard though. But we've got craft brews uh, right across the street. A place I can fill a growler from forty different taps of local craft brews. I think that's going to apply to the, the the boutique growers as well here. Well, I think so. And 
and it's driven by consumer demand, right? There, there, Anheuser-Busch spends a billion dollars in North America just on advertising to create demand for their product and, and increase their market share. Because they have and, to. Because they ha- Well, and lots of people <laughs> like that and, and drink that, but lots of people don't. Uh, and as long as the consumer has a variety of choices, I think that lots of people are going to gravitate towards the higher quality craft batches, craft products. Love Portland, one of my favorite cities in the world. For precisely that reason, I love beer. I love craft beer. I love being able to go to a, to a pub, neighborhood pub, a small business run by a family uh, that's selling, you know, 18 types of sour beer. That's fantastic. And, and the re- there's no reason we can't have that kind of economic activity, those kinds of uh, benefits to uh, lower middle class Canadians, entrepreneurs and innovators right here in Canada. Uh, I just hope we I just hope we get it soon and get it right. Kirk Tussaud is a fabulous cannabis attorney here in uh, Canada and has uh, argued successfully at the Canadian Supreme Court. We appreciate your wisdom and uh, insight on this. Do you have any uh, contact information you'd like to give out if people want to reach you? Yeah, sure. If people want to keep up with what's going on uh, with me and with Canadian uh, policy reform, I'd urge them to look at my website, which is tussawlaw.ca, T-O-U-S-A-W-L-A-W.ca. I'm on Twitter at Kirk Tussaud uh, and at Law. Uh, and, and keep in touch with Normal Canada as well, an organization that, I'm, that I happen to be a part of. And, uh, you know, uh, we need support. We need international support as we move towards legalization. We need people from outside of Canada telling the government of Canada, hey, listen to these guys. They've got the right ideas. Fantastic. Thank you, Kirk. And uh, stay tuned, folks. We'll be back to wrap things up here in Vancouver right after this. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Forwarding the cause of legalization and research of the growing cannabis industry one podcast at a time. The Cannabis Radio Network. The 2016 Southwest Cannabis Conference and Expo is only days away, October 14th through the 16th in Phoenix. Register right now at SWCCExpo2016.com. Check out over 100 exhibitors showcasing their businesses and the new advances being made in medical and legal cannabis markets. Plus, a can't-miss exclusive discussion on Arizona's Proposition 205. Check out over 100 exhibitors and thousands of cannabis professionals in Phoenix, October 14th through the 16th. Last-minute registration is open now at SWCCExpo2016.com. The political climate is at a fever pitch, and the fight for the social fabric of America is set for battle this November. Tuesday, November 8th, the cannabis liberation movement takes a huge step forward, and Cannabis Radio is here to chronicle this legendary moment. CannabisRadio.com and the Cannabis Radio News team will feature wall-to-wall live coverage of all the coast-to-coast voting of state amendments, ballots, propositions, and initiatives that will further progress the cannabis crusade. Join us November 8th for Vote 2016, the path to cannabis freedom, only on CannabisRadio.com. You're not high. You're listening to the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. We have to bring back law and order. Okay, maybe you're high too. Marijuana legalization is a worldwide phenomenon. 
Get yourself positioned for the global cannabis marketplace by attending the International Cannabis Business Conference in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. You'll learn from established cannabis professionals, elected officials, and internationally recognized marijuana law reform activists. You'll also enjoy the ICBC's famous VIP party featuring ICBC special guest speaker and Canadian native Tommy Chong. The ICBC is happening in Vancouver on Thursday and Friday, October 13th and 14th at the Hyatt Regency. Log on to internationalcbc.com today to reserve your tickets. That's internationalcbc.com and bookmark our page for the next ICBCs taking place in Berlin, Germany and San Francisco, California. Don't miss the International Cannabis Business Conference, internationalcbc.com. Hello, Mr. Man. Hi. I'm doing, I'm, I'm working. I'm sorry. No food till this is done. This is the Rush Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. All right, folks, welcome back. We are just winding up here at the International Cannabis Business Conference in Vancouver, B.C. My thanks to Alex Rogers, the uh, promoter of the conference, for having us out here uh, for this live coverage. We've got uh, the morning panels and keynotes from both days will be available on, the, uh, on my SoundCloud page, soundcloud.com slash radicalrust. We'll get to that later on this weekend. And uh, it's just been a great time here in Canada. I always enjoy it when I'm here. And the people, of course, very friendly. And everything you've heard about Canada is true. They're just wonderful, wonderful folks. Uh, love the money. I mentioned that earlier. <laughs> Beautiful, colorful money. If you've not gotten a chance to see the new Canadian bills, you, uh, you should take a look. They're very, very pretty. And... Uh, We'll be back here for other conferences, I'm absolutely certain, as our coverage continues to grow internationally. And uh, speaking of international, this conference will be held in Berlin, Germany in April of next year, and we will be there. It'll be my first ever trip to Europe. I am so looking forward to it. But we're going to head to Berlin, Germany for the International Cannabis Business Conference when it takes place. And... There are plans now to get the uh, conference in Sydney, Australia. be my first visit, visit down under. And in Prague, in the Czech Republic. So that would be great. And as my friend Joy Beckerman points out, you know, between Sydney, Australia and Prague, Czech, uh, Czech Republic, we're talking about two of the big centers for industrial hemp as well, which is something I, 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 I am, am endeavoring to include more in this show on industrial hemp. Uh, some of the developments that are happening now are just fascinating, especially the microcellulose, you know, uh, applications in, in uh, energy capacitors, you know, uh, battery storage technologies that could really unlock the potential of wind power and solar power and tidal power and, and a lot of these alternative energies where the problem is you have no, you, you need to store the power. They're, they're not consistent, right? Our, our power grids, our alternating current is built on a consistent flow of power. And, you know, the wind don't always blow, <laughs> right? The sun don't always shine. So it's not as consistent as, you know, burning a coal plant or running a nuclear plant or a hydroelectric dam or something like that. Hemp could actually replace the graphene in batteries at one one-thousandth the cost 
And so that's the problem with all these alternative uh, fuels right now, all these alternative energies, these natural powered energies, is there's no the, – the, the storage, the battery costs so much to store the power to make a continuous flow that you've, you've lost the cost effectiveness of it. And the environmental aspect of, of the heavy metals and materials that are going into these batteries kind of obliterates the environmental friendliness of the wind and the solar and, and the tidal. Well, if you reduce the cost down to one one-thousandth and you're growing it from a plant that sucks in carbon dioxide, oh my God, you're, you're attacking the problem and helping to solve the problem again. <laughs> it's just, just amazing. So we'll have more industrial hemp as we continue developing the show. That's all the time we got for today, and that's it for the week. Time flies when you legalize, folks. We'll be back with more news and interviews you can use for the cannabis community next week right here on the Russ Belleville Show. For everyone here at CannabisRadio.com, I'm Radical Russ. Thanks for joining us, and until next time, take care of each other, tokers. This is the Russ Belleville Show. The Russ Belleville Show is blogging and podcasting daily at RadicalRuss.com. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you try it, you roll it, you smoke it. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you try it, you roll it, you smoke it, and it goes down.